everybody. Welcome back to the Catholic Talk Show. I'm Ryan Delacrosse, and we have here Ryan Scheel, our resident church nerd, and Father Rich Pagano, the yes, pastoral sir. voice. And, so pastoral. Uh, today we have a, a great topic. Yeah, it's, I hope you guys are hungry, or you yeah, gotta be. I know I am. I'm, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm getting pretty hungry. Yeah, I like to eat. Mm. So we're going to talk about food uh, that we owe to the Catholic Church, food and drinks. That's right. right. You know, these are things that, you know, you likely eat, you know, every day or at least weekly that uh, if it weren't for the Catholic Church, they probably wouldn't be prevalent in your life. And uh, they're all good things. So I'm trying to think what I eat weekly. Yogurt. Yogurt? Ugh. (sighs) I do eat yogurt. That's plain yogurt. That's Greek. So we don't owe that to the Catholic Church. Do you know that there's an enzyme... Maybe the Byzantines or the Orthodox, you know, can. <laughs> well, that's why I'm so Orthodox. But the the Greek yogurt has an enzyme in it that neutralizes bad breath. Mm. Does? Yeah. Do, so I mean, you, do I have bad breath? <sighs> no, because you, you eat yogurt. Because I'm the yogurt. <laughs> so before we get started, you can find us on all the interwebs, Twitter, yep. Facebook, and uh, Make sure you're subscribing. Stitcher and yeah. all that stuff. Or so. you can visit us on uh, the Catholic, or catholictalkshow.com, yep. and you can subscribe to us on any of the things that you prefer right from there. Yeah. All right, so... Um, so what's the first? So, what do you want? To, where you want to start, Ryan? You know, you know, throughout the Bible and throughout, you know, the history of the church, you know, we've always had a very uh, intertwined relationship with food. You know, when when we talk of, um, you know, of a saint's feast day, it's it's a celebration centered around food. When we talk about, you know, the source and summit of the Christian life, it's you know the Eucharist, which is a which is a real food and spiritual food. Mm, I when love we lo- that. When we look mm. at the Old Testament, you know, there's... Are you the, loving that Frappuccino? Or are you <laughs> that's actually yogurt. I oh, it's yogurt? Uh, Give me some of that. I took the top off, actually, man. Actually, let me going, try a little taste of that. Oh, come on, man. Come on, it's a Frappuccino. you get hooked. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Shield over here has got me all hungry and my taste buds are flaring. All right, man. All right. <laughs> you get that all over your collar. <laughs> okay, so what so, were we you know, about? So the church has always had a really, uh, you know... Um, really intertwined relationship with food. And, you know, throughout the history of the church, there's been a lot of instances where uh, the influence of the church has has developed foods or brought foods to, you know, to, uh, you know, Western society that you yeah. wouldn't have had otherwise. And yeah. I think, you know, that's a good segue that, you know, uh, Father's getting his yogurt into your cappuccino <laughs> because one of the things that... <laughs> it was a little backwash. <laughs> Gross. That's not, now nobody wants to do that. No. Ew. Ew. So, you know, it's four foods that you eat every day, thanks to the Catholic Church. And now here's one that you will not, <laughs> thanks to the Catholic Church. Thanks, Padre. Uh, anytime. So, yeah, no. Number one is coffee. You know, mm. uh, definitely it, a daily consumption for me. Right. I think everyone out mm-hmm. there, I mean, everyone listening, you're drinking it right now. Chances yeah. are you're drinking coffee out well, there right now. And- hello. After every Mass, there's coffee. And donuts. And donuts. Was that one of the foods? Hence the 30 pounds on my jelly roll right here. (laughs) Well, you know, if it weren't for Pope Clement VIII, there would not be coffee after Mass. What year was that? What are we talking? So, And he's not a saint? Come on. No. I mean, mean, maybe we can open up the cause for canonization. canonization for him. Actually, they have a meeting down over at the, uh, you know, the... Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) 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 Over in New Bedford, Massachusetts. (laughs) 
<laughs> the ritual of opening up the cause of canonization will be taking place at the, the Dunkin' Dunkin Donuts, Donuts on Fifth and and Broadway. <laughs> yeah, they have his package sealed with like a you know coffee press. <laughs> so no, you know, uh, coffee has always been widely you know consumed. Um, but in the West, it really never was until the Crusades. And when the Crusaders, uh, you know, were going over to the Middle East, they encountered coffee. And a lot of them, you know, brought a taste for coffee back with them. But the attitude of the church of the time was that it was a drink that was really closely associated with, uh, you know, with either Islam or with, you know, people of other faiths. And it wasn't something that uh, most clerics really, mm. really, you know, approved of so sad god in his infinite mercy made coffee and we're you know we're, we're putting up walls destroy the walls mm-hmm. break them down open up the gates all the sons of abraham should just hang out and have a cup of coffee yeah but, man and the world would be so much mm-hmm. more peaceful yeah but that wasn't always the case so you know when they were when they were bringing it you know back from from the you know middle east you know after the crusades between the 8th and 12th centuries a lot of the bishops and clerics were condemning it as um, they called it Satan's drink. What? And yeah. How do you? How does that make you feel? Right. This is not good. Well, I, I think it's going to go in a good direction, though, I, right? Well, let's see. You know. Well, I, I'm sure it did because I'm a priest and I'm drinking this stuff. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you you know, you go to a, you know some some pretty hardcore evangelical communities. They like Starbucks, the beans. Starbucks, that's that's Satan's drink right there. Oh. Yeah, you don't want to drink that. Right there. That right that there. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it became really popular, but you know, a lot of people said, you know, with its, its association with the, you know, with the Islamic culture, oh, it was guilty I by see, association. Yeah. Guilty by association. Yeah. Oh wow. So mm. while it was growing popularity, it was also growing in um, kind of <coughs> disfavor among certain clerics. And they appealed to the Pope to get a ruling on whether or not people can consume coffee. And um, was there like in inner fighting amongst the? Uh, yeah, the bishops were like, you know, don't s- don't drink coffee. That that stuff's no good. And then they Satan tr- drink. And a couple of them maybe they tried it. And, and they're, they're like, like mm-hmm. 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 we'll just keep this at the chancery. You uh-huh. know, <laughs> yeah, the good stuff. Right. You know, the, the the Muslims they make really strong coffee. Oh, and it's heavenly. It's good. It's yeah. so good. I had some in Jerusalem. Sorry, that's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, actually, the strongest coffee I ever had was a was a, a Muslim guy. Uh, my wife was working with him, and uh, he was uh, from Bosnia Herzegovina, mm-hmm. which is a, uh, you know, it's in um, former Yugoslavia. Former Yugoslavia. Yeah. It's right across the Adriatic from Italy, and it's kind of a mixing pot between you know Christians and Islam there, and. Um, you know, he had this place and he had invited me for a cup of coffee. I'm like, sure, you know. And he has the coffee grinds right in the water and everything. Ooh, yeah. And I drink it and I'm like, mm. within like 30 seconds, I'm like, I thought I was dying. <laughs> yeah, your it, heart it was, was like. It was a yeah. rush of energy. Oh, yeah, dude, it was intense. Wow. You like that? <laughs> so anyway, good the bishops. Word. Thanks. Use your words, Ryan. Def, good job. Yeah. So the bishops go to the Pope and they say, you know, can we get a ruling here, right? And they're like, we want you to ban this and want you to tell all the faithful that it is not okay for them to drink, you know, Islamic Satan drink coffee, right? Mm. So <laughs> let me get, let me, let me see if you have a guess as to which way he ruled, right? <laughs> so did he, he said, try it first and was like, hey, that's you know exactly what? what I'm he did. not gonna call something Satan drink unless I try it first. That's right. Let so, me discern this. So yeah. yeah, they said they called it the bitterest invention of Satan. Mm. That's terrible. I, I don't know. Maybe they're drinking. I'm ashamed it. to be a Catholic right now. Yeah, I know. Mm. Mm. Just because so, of that. 
So the Pope the said, of it. Pope said, no, let me try it. Yeah. Let me try it before I make a ruling. And he's like, look, this stuff is so delicious. <laughs> the, the actual quote that we have is, this Satan's drink is so delicious that it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. We shall cheat Satan by baptizing it. Yes. <laughs> and by that ruling, he pretty much opened up the okay, consumption of coffee by now. Catholics. <laughs> and if it weren't for that, you know, Western society would be not. Hallelujah. Yeah. Man, mm-hmm. what a story. That is a great story. Every morning when I wake up and I drink coffee, I'm going to be thinking about Pope Clementus. I, I can't help but think about, guys, is this whole reality that happens in life when there's division because of difference. And we kind of isolate a particular group because of race or practice or, or coffee. Coffee. Yeah. And, you know, how much do we limit ourselves from being enriched by the other, mm-hmm. being yeah. enriched by difference? Amen. And the complementarity. He likes saying enriched because it's one of his trademarks. Enriched Pagano. Father. Enriched. Enriched Pagano. <laughs> no, his Spanish ministry is Enrico Pagano. Enrico. <laughs> <laughs> my my Spanish name in high school was Virgil. Really? Yeah. Do you know what mine was? It's not in a good way. I like that name. My yeah, Spanish my Spanish name in high school was uh, for Spanish class was uh, it was the first. There's like seven Ryan's in the class. There's like already two in this room. I, dude, you can't throw yeah. a stone without That's hitting a Ryan. Yeah. yeah. So there's like five Ryan's, and I ended up with the name Ramon. I'm like, That's. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even close to Ryan, right? Oh, my Spanish teacher called me Raul. 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 Well, there was like three of Raul's, and she's like, I can't have four Raul's. Yeah, but that's not even Ryan translated into Spanish because there is no Spanish name for Ryan. There's it's not. just an Irish. Right. So I said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not rolling I'm with that. I'm half Irish, half Italian. Wow. So I said, I want to be, I want you to call me Garcia. Hmm. Jerry Garcia. Yeah, man. I don't even like the Grateful Dead, hmm. but I just did not want to go by Ramon or Raul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my Spanish class story. I approve of that message. It's good stuff. So, the differences that we have, you were you were well, saying before I was rudely interrupted. Yeah, no, the enrich us. We do. We limit. Let me enrich we you. Limit enrich us. Yeah, and, and some people think you know it's just like I gotta like take this person in and and be like them when it really is just understanding where they're coming from, who they are, whether it's cultural or whether it's through something that somebody does. I mean, I think we're getting better as a culture at it, mm-hmm. but uh, we still have miles and miles to go. Yeah. And I think of the great Jesuits of the 16th century who, you know, went out to different cultures and they didn't want to change everything. When they brought the gospel with them, they weren't trying to change all of their customs and cultures and practices and impose Roman authority and impose a Roman way of life. They wanted to engage and see within their customs the beauty and the engagement with the Mm. transcendence of God. And it was embedded in every culture and in every people because practices are always going to be directed upwardly and directed toward God because that's what we long for in the human nature of the heart. We long to for heaven. We long for God and, and for the more. So when we look at other things that are different, we shouldn't immediately judge them and completely cut them off. 
before even engaging them. So think, you're saying Satan's drink? You're thinking that was the play maybe, there? Maybe a little bit said, of a... <laughs> when they yeah, said I Satan's mean, drink, that they're immediately the yeah, cutting like, it off? Don't drink the drink. No, it's not that. <laughs> it's just it's like you drink. shouldn't drink that because the Arabs drink it. No, it's not that. It's like, let's go to the furthest end. It's Satan's drink. And then the next thing you know, they're baptizing it. And then they're baptizing <laughs> it. Because it was good. It's yeah, good. because it's good. And yeah. goodness is a qualitative identity of God. Yeah. And of people, too. And with, of people. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what what what, All right. what, what so what, we what, talking what? about other foods? Other foods. Potato oh. chips? No. Ooh. No. Maybe, but I don't know. I didn't do any research. Well, if that. we got coffee, there's gotta be donuts. No, no. that's not it. Where Although and it's an everyday food? Mm. Yeah. How about uh chicken? chicken. Oh <laughs> right. So that was good. Thank you, dude. You're really good with that. Yeah. It was good stuff. You know, there's a, a studio down the street at Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah? You, you can go down there and do some... That was it. <laughs> you know, that was actually the sound that Peter heard three times be, be, before denying Jesus. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, dude. Uh, I read that in the Bible. The rooster. So now, now we're not saying that the Catholic Church invented chickens. Uh, chickens have been around for... Well, God invented chickens. Don't be heretical. Okay, we have to. I, are we talking grilled bro. chicken? Are we talking sautéed chicken? Are we talking fried chicken? Are we talking about Kentucky fried chicken? Well, chicken, look, chicken fried chicken. We're, chicken, fried we're chicken. in Hollywood, and I actually we went to a vegetarian restaurant today, and I had a uh, fake chicken. Yeah. Oh, that's. And a shame. so I, I knew I was ordering it, and Ryan got a salad, mm. and uh, I'm still he, hungry. Yeah, he's mm. like. You're He's looking like, very schvelte, by the way, Ryan. Yeah. Schvelte. Is that why you're eating all those salads? <laughs> it's kale. Oh, it's kale. kale. Yeah, it's kale. And he's it's like, dude, he's protein. like, wait, this is not chicken? I'm like, no, nah, it's not chicken. He's like, dude, it tastes like I'm eating air. Why did they say it was chicken? <sighs> I don't understand. They said it was chicken. They're lying. I, I know. They're lying. They should have said it was veggie chicken. Veggie chicken. Well, dude, imitation chicken. The, the sign said, like, all vegetarian food. You kind of should have discerned that. But I thought it was, like, the base. Like, all the base stuff <laughs> that's was That's not a vegetarian, vegetarian restaurant. chicken on it. That's, a, that's like a meat salad, dude. Okay, I get it now. Okay, it's fine. We'll, we'll have it, that right? show. We'll have that show on how right. stupid I am later. So, chicken. Been around for God knows how long, right? They actually uh, were first domesticated um, as wild fowls from Southeast Asia. And they made their way through the trade routes, but they were never really a common food element. Mm. But um, archaeologists noticed a really huge spike in finding... So, one of the ways that archaeologists find out a lot about society and culture at a time is by going through the landfills. Because the landfills would have all the, you know, all the things that they used on a common daily basis. Mm. And um, one of the things they found, a huge increase around the 9th century um, AD, is chicken bones. Hmm. Did they have any wrappers? Like plastic wrappers or anything about? <laughs> oh. Oh. No, you know, no, like not like Bojangle boxes or anything. No, no, I don't, they weren't franchised yet. <laughs> oh, ninth century. Go ahead, yeah. So they found the chicken bones in the landfill. That's right. So they, by looking at these bones, I, I, I don't know why archaeologists do what they do, but they started doing a genetic analysis of these chicken bones, and they found that it had a gene called TSHR, which is a thyroid simulating hormone receptor gene, and this became a really common thing in the chickens around the ninth century. Now, today, in today's world, almost 100% of all chickens carry this gene. But before the ninth century, almost none of them did. And they couldn't really understand why there was such a, sh a shift in the genetic makeup of chickens. This is fascinating. I think it's fascinating. I mean, I just, I'm on TSHR gene right now. Go see, ahead. See, Padre, instead of being a priest, you could have, like, spent your time, like, 
on Wikipedia. Digging up old garbage pits and looking at DNA, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Blow your mind. Blow your mind. So they were, they were looking why the shift in the genetic makeup of chickens, and they kind of figured out that it went along with Benedictine monasteries. So Benedictine monasteries around the time, um, they find that so the chickens that carry this gene, they, they produce more eggs, they grow faster, bigger, everything. Um, and they found that this gene and the chicken bones they were finding was linked to Christian fasting practices originating with uh, the Benedictines. Mm. So I'm confused. I think, so I think during, people listening are confused right now. So let me bring it home for you. Let, let's, bring, <laughs> let's bring the roosters home to roost. Good. So they were allowed to not eat anything. They weren't allowed to eat anything that was four-legged. That was part of their fasting practices. Okay. But it did not extend to birds mm. because they were not four-legged, right? So they started really domesticating chickens and really, uh, you know, hybridizing Farming them. Farming them. Domesticating them and really starting to, you know, breed wow. them for certain traits. So Wowza. That, uh, this gene makes the chickens less aggressive, lay more eggs, grow faster, grow bigger. So how did the gene get... Over there. By selective breeding. The Benedictines. Okay. By Larry Lanny. <laughs> Larry Lanny. My Uncle Larry. Yeah, Uncle Larry. He does it. I'm he's got good you. jeans. He's got good jeans, yeah. And he's so got these Jordash. chickens. He's got a Jordash jeans. Jordash jeans. <laughs> these so, chickens. So jeans good can jeans. actually be formed within a... No. So that's not the way genetic works. The oh. way it would work is that they would selectively breed these chickens... Because the chickens that they wanted to be bred would have this gene, which would be a favorable trait. Hmm. So the more, you know, they have 10 chickens, this one is bigger, faster, and less aggressive. So they make sure they breed that one. And through selective breeding, this this gene became really common. And that's almost every common chicken in today's world has that same genetic marker that goes back to the Benedictine monasteries of the ninth century. That's fascinating. Hmm. I mean, it's totally random information. It is random. What do you got? What, I mean, how, 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 many, how, many you, how many of you out there today ate chicken? I'm, I'm sure quite a I lot of you. Ton. I tried to eat chicken, but they... <laughs> it was fake chicken. They duped me. And you knew right away that that gene wasn't in there. Right? Mm-hmm. This, yeah, they didn't have good he's, genes. He's sitting there eating. He's like, I don't taste that gene in here. This tastes like air. This <laughs> is disgusting. It's gross. I want... I like my gene I like my thyroid chicken. stimulating hormone receptors. <laughs> These monks in the uh, Middle Ages, they they did a lot of stuff like you know like uh, agricultural metallurgy. I, I was listening to a, an audio book by Thomas Woods about all the stuff they were doing at the monastery. Champagne is that uh, how demonia. the Catholic Church uh, Western built civilization? Western civilization. Yeah, one of the one of the best books. Everyone out there should read that. During wars, they would secretly go to the libraries and and just pull all the books off the shelves and hide them. You know because. Uh, the barbarians were at the gate, you know, mm-hmm. type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. It is. So so how, how much can we attribute these to monks? I'm just guessing because... Well, I mean, if you look at the statistics, the genetics, hundred, almost 100% of the chickens today carry that gene. And before that time, very few chickens did. So almost... Monk, you know, it's like instead of monkfish, it's monk chicken. Monk chicken, dude. Monkfish uh, is gross. Wait, wait. Monkfish is gross. And everyone's like, "Oh, it's it's poor man's lobster." There's a reason. Have you ever mm. seen a monkfish before? It's mm. no. It's horrifying. Really? It's it will scare you. Yeah, it's monkfish, really they're ugly. I I really like. I ate it like 15 years ago at a friend's house, mm-hmm. and then I saw a picture, and I still I have nightmares. I'm haunted that <laughs> I ate it. It's awful. They're ugly. It's a yeah. leviathan. 
It's terrible. Yeah. So, but, but even, even though now they're doing all this other stuff with chickens. Now, a lot of people are mad because they got all the chickens in the barns and then they're, <laughs> you know, they're feeding them hormones, right? Right. Oh yeah. Does that change their selective breeding? So in yeah. another 500 years, there'd be somebody doing the podcast from another, from an alien ship. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, this is Purdue chicken. These are the guys that created this is goes back to there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Possible. It's possible. It's possible. And the fact that the human person has this ability to manipulate genes and to have our fingertips, in a sense, a part of creation, mm. is something that is also rooted within humanity. Because like God, we are called in creation to be co-creators with God. John Paul II developed this whole concept. And the participation in that is really down to the very core of the genealogy of creation and that we can get so close to this miraculous event of life and alter its direction. But as co-creators, we could alter that in a positive direction or we could obviously alter it in a negative direction. Yeah. So like we, like breeding monkfish to be extra big oh, and gross. Dude. There you go. That's Punishable super by death. <laughs> super negative. Satan fish. You <laughs> know, Satan fish. You know, Pope Francis. So from Satan coffee. <laughs> Satan coffee. Fish. Yeah, Pope Francis actually left a loophole in the new change of the catechism for people who selectively breed monkfish. <laughs> it's in there. It's a footnote. Anathema. Of, yeah. Anathema. Hit the heresy button. <laughs> <laughs> Next food. Next food. So next food. Hey, here we go. I'm All right. so hungry, ding, dude. Ding. I feel like I'm at a. So I'll tell you what. If you order a pizza, by the time we're done, it'll be here. Now, did you know that the first recorded pizza delivery in history was to a Catholic bishop? No way. That's true. That's cool. That is cool. And the first recorded use of the word pizza comes from a Catholic uh, cathedral document. Hmm. Wait a second. I thought pizza was invented by the Italians that came over from Italy. Well, this was in Italy. Was in. Uh, you sounded like a Scot there for saying you're like this Italy. is. Italy. I can't. Yeah. It's Italy. <laughs> it's Italy. Italy. All right, so pizza's been around longer than uh, the 1950s. Yeah. Okay. But oh, you're that's... saying that it was in a official document. That's right. So the first ever usage of the word. Yeah, it was in a scola cathedral. They yeah. found a document stored in the archives of the Cathedral of Saint Erasmus and Marciano in Santa Maria Assunta in Gaeta, Italy, hmm. right? And the document is called the Codex Dipla- uh, Diplomaticus, and my land's <laughs> a little bit spotty here. We're lying to you, audience. Look it up on, it's on youcatholic.com, you can find it. Don't make me pronounce it. So, so it was found was, in a church. It was found in the church, and now it was in a rental agreement over the usage of a mill associated with church land. Hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. a mill, they were you know processing grains and whatever. So this was between uh, Duke Marino and the bishop. And he agreed, the Duke agreed to pay the bishop for the use of the land that had the mill on it in pizza. Oh, he must have been a paisan, huh? No, big old a real paisan. I'm just picturing he's that like, too. He's what like, you got going on with a pizza over there? It's kind of a dirty deal. Agreement. The bishop's like, yeah, I'll tell you what. You take this land and you just send me some pizza. And it's cool. <laughs> dirty dog. Okay, so now this is what where you're going with right. the, uh, the delivery. Because right. he's like, I'm too fat to get up and go down to the pizza store. <laughs> but yeah, so the duke had to bring it to him. And it said, every year on Christmas Day, nice. I will bring you and your successors for the rent for the land without recrimination, 12 pizzas. Hmm. Wow. A, sh- a pork shoulder. And 12 pizzas and a couple of chickens on the day of resurrection or Easter. 
feast days. That's wow. right. Nice. So the first recorded use of pizza and the contract that the Duke had to deliver it to the bishop on Easter and Christmas, and that's where the first use of pizza and the first recorded pizza delivery is. Interesting. Wow. Isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah, hey. somebody should do a, a, a Catholic tradition on pizza. We got a good start there, and then we're kind of in the age. Yeah. That's a, that's a dissertation. It's been a part of the Catholic faith and a lot of Catholic believers, especially for me growing up. Every Friday rolled around, it was pizza time. You know, was there meat yeah, on there? Yeah. Well, it depends. If it was during Lent, no meat. Just during Lent. Just during Lent. Uh, I wasn't one of those traditional ultra-conservative. V2, mm-hmm. baby. I'm V2. a Vatican II priest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. No, yeah. It's, it, it's true. And um, every Friday rolled around, we got that beautiful, large cheese pizza during, mm-hmm. during Lent. I don't know how sacrificial or penitential that was because I was enjoying it. Greasy pizza. Greasy yeah. pizza. It's so pretty good. That's oh, yeah. Good. All right. What's the next food? All right. So I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. I, I think one of the most universally acclaimed and loved food would be bacon. Mm. I, oh, I, right? without a doubt. I yeah. Mean, I mean, everybody does. So everybody the Catholic Church bacon. created bacon? Yes. No. Heresy. 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 <laughs> no, but, you know, of, of the three major Abrahamic faiths, only Christianity you know, allows the consumption of pork. Oh, yeah. And, you know, why is that? I mean, I don't know. Probably hit the taste buds of another pope in history, and he says, I baptized this I pig. I baptized this bacon. Well, Actually, wait a second. That's kind of true. Wait a second. But, you know, which pope it was? Put me on the gauntlet. Ooh. Pope numero uno. Really? Yeah. Oh, of Peter. course. Yeah. Yes. Hello. St. Peter. That's so true, man. That's right. In the in the uh, experience of the angels lowering the sheet with all the foods that in were Acts unclean. ten, Saint Peter had the vision where all the foods, of, you know, everything that was traditionally forbidden of Jews to eat, hmm. um, you know, under the old covenant, the Gentiles ate it though, didn't they? They did. did they? Yeah, okay. but he had this vision of a large, you know, blanket. Uh, this called a you know picnic cloth coming down with all the foods, and you know, and he heard that uh, said you know. Um, you know, get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. And Peter said, certainly not, sir, which he called God, sir, which I always thought was kind of, you know, strange. Hi, sir. (laughs) And he said, you know, I've never eaten anything profane or unclean. And the voice said to him again, what God has made clean, you are not to call profane. So God right there was giving the first Pope a vision saying, I am making this food clean. Mm. And that really, you know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this. Let's have a moment of silence. <laughs> yeah. Father, we lead us in a prayer. Thank you. Father, all right. Thank you. Lead us in a prayer thanking Jesus for bacon from heaven in Acts 10. Ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, thank you so much for the gift of bacon because mm. I love bacon and I love it when it's extra crispy. Extra kiss bacon is the best thing since sliced bread. But when you put it on a piece of sliced bread, mm, mm, with a little bit of mayo and a little bit of lettuce. It's a burger. Thank a you, little Jesus. bit of tomato. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. And it's true. You know, this whole concept of God making clean, you know, and, and this do not call anything, anything impure that God has made clean. You know, when we look to our neighbor and we look to the people in our own churches, every time that we enter into a liturgy, 
we beseech God for his mercy. And it starts with a penitential act and yep. a minor absolution. And God, by nature of our baptism, is renewing our baptism, and he's constantly making us clean. And we can't turn to our brothers and sisters and ridicule them and, and enter into poor relationships with them and, and stay in that divided sense of, of uh, our relationship. We have an obligation as Catholics, as baptized members of the body of Christ, to recognize the goodness of our brothers and sisters, recognize the goodness of what God is making clean. And what God is making clean is so many things. So not only just the food, but also our, our neighbor and, you know, our family members and so much of God's work. Do you think is, God can make um, my neighbor clean up his yard, dude? He's got <laughs> truck parts everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's bad, dude. I want to sell my house and I can't because I look over and it's just like, it looks like, you know, junk. Your property volume is just Oh, and he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And I don't want to be like, dude, you got to move your stuff. But, you know, can you throw in one of those priestly prayers that he makes my neighbor Look clean? Look past all of that. Oh, junk. so you're saying it's clean? <laughs> Look past the junk. That's right. Don't get caught I'll tell up. the realtor what, you know, what, you know, Father Rich has made clean. Don't call <laughs> unclean. Well... Oh, brothers. So, yeah, you know, that teaching also is, I think, an extension of what Jesus said in Matthew 15, that it's not what enters one's mouth that defiles a right. person, but what comes out of a mouth mm -hmm. that right. defiles a person. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the teaching in Acts 10 and Acts 15 at the First Council of Jerusalem really is the culmination of how the church took Christ's teaching on those types of things. And when we see dietary restrictions throughout the scriptures, but we also experience them in life, I spent some time in India, I spent some time in Israel, and the different dietary restrictions that are still present there in their cultures, it, it clearly creates a markation of who can be at table and who can, you know, who can totally participate. Kind of and separates it's, yeah, the it's community. Separ it's separation. And yeah. so much of Communio, so much of what happens in our communion with one another should happen at the table. And we think of Jesus's ministry, a lot of his ministry, a greater majority mass. of his ministry happens around the table. Yeah, and the celebration right. of mass is that one meal. of my favorite icons is, is Rublev's, uh, what is it? What is it called? Rublev's, uh, and it's got the father, son, and the Holy Spirit the Trinity, sitting yeah. at a table. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, you're that chair yeah. right there. Yeah. Sit down. And you yeah. are welcome and you are invited. Yeah. And God is making our table clean so that we can cross the boundaries of what has d divided us for so many years. And we think about Orthodox Jews and we think about um, the Gentiles of that time, that this essentially broke down a huge barrier of practice of meal. That's right. Yeah. So, it's it's awesome to think of that, but there's other boundaries that are in our world today that we need to break down as well and start joining together in meal and celebrating the gift of life that God has given us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well yeah. said. Yeah. You know, and, and like another thing to think about is that a lot of people you'll see like uh, maybe kind of anti-Christians or kind of like the new atheists online. One of the things they really like to bring up is, well, Oh, well, the Old Testament says you shall not eat shellfish. And they're like, well, you eat shrimp, so ha, 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 I got you. Or you shall not wear clothes of mixed fabric. And, you know, what they don't understand is that, you know, rules, there, there's certain rules that are timeless and there's other rules that really are societal laws, even within the Bible and within the Old Testament. And that they, th they think that God is putting these rules in because God doesn't want you to eat something or whatever. God doesn't make rules for himself. He doesn't need to. These rules and all these things are for people. They're not for themselves. They're for the people in a particular time and place. God doesn't need anything. 
He's doing things that are for your own benefit. Right. He's putting rules and restrictions on you for your own benefit. It's like, you know, a, uh, a speed limit on a freeway. The road doesn't need it. The road doesn't, the road is indifferent to how fast you travel. And that's the excuse I use when I speed. That's right. It is. <laughs> we don't need these stupid signs. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Well, no, they, and, and in a certain sense, laws are arbitrary down to its very fundamental right. basis. Yeah. But the the use of law is, and the purpose is to govern us in love. That That's ultimately where it's guiding us, that there's a harmony in our, in our livelihood and that we are careful enough for one another to not break a law and potentially hurt another person. That's right. So we look at the Decalogue. You know, these are the laws that were given by God. And we look at the first three and the remaining seven. The first three relate to God. Yeah. And then the remaining seven relate to how we relate with one another. And ultimately, the effect of observing these laws is so that we may be governed in love and come into greater communion with one another. Right. Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the foods that we eat. But, I, you know, I think it really is interesting how the church is always, you know, related to people through food. If you look through some of the, you know, ethnic examples of, you know, particular countries and the food they eat on the saint days, you know, it's always been something that's really fascinating that the local cultures have specific meals that associate with a feast day, like <clears throat> St. Joseph's Feast. I know I know you Italians go Ooh, all out for that. Yeah, yeah but your pastries mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or cookies. You know, Bread. Yeah. Mm. What about the king cake? Ooh. Who, who started that? The French? That's the French in uh, France. No, that's yeah. in France and now in New Orleans. I'm trying to remember the name. Or the Poonskis for I, the Polish. Yeah, I was just going to say, for the Polish, I had this experience of celebrating Christmas with a great Polish family, and I had this amazing food. It was like kind of a peppermint-style kind of Dessert. It was delicious, and they would make it every Christmas. Don't remember the name of it, but it creates that memory. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the gift of— It does. Yeah, the gift of the sense of smell and taste are the most evocative of memory. And there's something that we should call into mind is that culture and food, it drives around a certain sense of communion and memory to remember yeah. what God has done for us and, and providing for our deepest— human needs, but also our spiritual needs as well. And I think of just the sense of what we have in our faith in coming together around a table yeah. to celebrate Eucharist with the smells of incense and the tastes of bread and wine consecrated and transubstantiated before us in the miraculous way where Jesus feeds us of his very self. In this mm -hmm. banquet, we come together yeah. And, you know, like to truly embrace that reality that God's work among us, making us clean, is so that we may find communion with one another despite our differences. Let our differences complement the unity that he's calling us to. Well said, Padre. Yeah. So I'm hungry. You guys Me want to get something to eat? Ooh, baby. All right. Now, before we go, we're going to wrap it up like we always do. With the Inquisition. Bum, bum, Here bum. we go. Shing. All right. Shing. You ready? I don't know, but let's let's go. I'm let's excited. go for it. All right. You bless holy water. You create holy water, right? <laughs> By way of my communion with God. Yes. That's right. You create the holy water. <laughs> he blesses the water. I and, bless the water and right? makes okay. it the sacramental. Make it Some of our listeners may want Ryan, to know. Listen to me. I make water into holy water. Okay. I get it. Okay. I get it. What's the effective blessing radius of water? Mm. Can we go drive down to the Pacific Ocean? 
And can you bless that? It's all I one don't living body of water. Right now, it's about five o'clock. Mm. It's going to take us like two hours. To get how far? There. How this far does your blessing go? Great dilemma. I mean, is mm-hmm. it just within the font? I mean, is it water? Can you, can you bless, bless the entire ocean? Can you bless you, water on Jupiter? Well, no, because it has to be one <laughs> contiguous body of water. Oh, but the Pacific runs Pluto? into the Atlantic. What about Pluto? Padre, you could be the man, the priest, who turned all the oceans of the world into holy water. Holy water. <laughs> That's true. What's the effective wow. blessing radius? So when it comes down to any sacramental function of the priest acting in persona Christi, what is absolutely necessary is the disposition of intention so that the priest intentionally is consecrating the species of bread and wine. Okay. You know, or the intention of baptizing a child, you know, through water and the spirit, et cetera. So intentionality is is of the essence. I think of Pope Francis, right? And there in front of the televisions, you know, screens around the world, he imparts, he yep. asks for prayer, and then he imparts his blessing, his apostolic blessing to the entire world. And I remember I was there kneeling in front of the TV, you know, and just blessing myself. But, you know, it counts through TV. Yeah. Does I mean, it? there's there's it a does. transmission. But there was an argument about this, too. Like, does um, it or does it not? But yeah. the intentionality for it to go through TV does make a papal blessing through the TV functional. Hmm. Bingo. And I have never I have never stood in front of the ocean. With the intent with of the blessing intent of all the sea creatures. I never thought. I never. You're lacking the vision. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. All the waters of the earth are holy water. You, you can God. make history. You limit God. I'm just a man, Ryan. I'm just a man. Well, really God thinking is like calling me to today. more. He's calling me to more. <laughs> if I could enter more fully into the priesthood and more fully into the power that Jesus Christ offers in the sacramental structure of the church and my priesthood, I become a more effective priest. And it's a journey, right? So I hope and I pray that I can continue to grow into this ministry and have the greater faith. You know, I think of I think yeah. of the Saint Faustina, who just absolutely stops this massive storm of destruction, you know, and and these amazing saints who, you know, men and women throughout history who had such great faith Peter. that they were able to stop yeah. these you know, these terrible occurrences from happening and, yeah. and bring miraculous power to Again, save people. as in most times during the Inquisition, you're dodging the question. <laughs> yeah. Can <laughs> you, can what, is what is the effective radius of blessing it's, water? It's, the it's limitless. It's the, it's, it's the intent. It's limitless. So if your intent was to turn the entire Pacific into holy water, mm. you've got the chaps to pull it off, Padre? I don't know if I have the chaps. I might have to call up backups. You know, I, I might have to say, yo, Papa Francisco, I need Papa you Francesco. over here. Hey, hey, yo, got, get over here. Papa Francesco, I got hey. the thing we're doing <laughs> all right we're we- gonna bless the pacific ocean <laughs> now for everyone listening if you want to we can start a petition to have pope francis bless the oceans and make them all holy water just yeah. make sure that i'm there too because i want right, to be there because, i mean this is all yeah. born he out started of started it yeah, Come on, right. how about we end this let's go with to something blessing over the oh i'd be happy to cast waves yeah, man. with the intentionality to See, give a blessing so again is, make sure that proof. you're subscribing on all of our platforms that's right we're on more there. and more blessings to come catholictalkshow.com we're on youtube facebook instagram twitter stitcher itunes you can go to catholictalkshow.com to subscribe to our show at uh, any one of the ones that you like there you go padre do you want to shut us down absolutely all right heavenly father look upon your children that are participating in this movement, in this ministry. And we ask that you bless them and fill them with the grace of your Holy Spirit. Your power is limitless. And so often we come to you humbly because we have limitations. 
And Lord, we need you, and we express our deepest and most profound thirst for your grace. As we have brought into mind all of these different foods and how you satiate us, satiate us by your power and your might, and pour your Holy Spirit upon each of us and renew us in the gifts of faith, hope, and love through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Procedamos in pace. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this was, again, the Catholic Talk Show with Ryan, Ryan, Father Rich. Father Rich, thanks for the blessing. Ryan, Ryan, Father Rich, another Catholic Talk Show. Great job, guys. All right. To all you guys listening, we appreciate you and uh, hope to see you back here next time. Yep. Sending right. our love. Peace. Take care. Yeah.